guys, I'm Joseph, and welcome to another episode of Speakeasy. Today, we are going to explore who exactly we are supposed to be persuading, what constitutes persuasiveness, and also what doesn't. I urge you to pay close attention to this episode, as persuasion is the primary measure by which judges decide if you win the debate. So, let's address who needs to be persuaded. For the purposes of fair adjudication, BP conceptualizes a panel as a group of so-called ordinary intelligent voters. You might wonder why that's the case. Why don't we just let judges judge for themselves and assess what sways them and what doesn't? The reason is simple. Just like speakers don't select their positions or the motions, they also do not select their panels and judges. It is quite difficult to find a large number of people qualified to judge a debate fairly, especially at large tournaments with dozens of debates going on simultaneously. If accounting for balance of opinion and belief was necessary on top of qualification, it would be impossible to guarantee a good standard of adjudication for most debates. To solve this problem, the ordinary intelligent voter was created as a rule of thumb or thought experiment for what the judges should assume to be true about the world. Obviously, judges are still human, and no one can eliminate their personal biases and beliefs entirely, but they should still try their best to apply the rules rather than their opinions. This is also the reason as to why neither right-wing nor left-wing ideology is inherently persuasive, just as no concept is inherently considered good or bad. Speakers need to explain why things are good or bad. Sure, dead babies are considered to be universally bad, and less poverty is probably generally considered good, as these things appeal to our intuitions. But how we get there is not written in stone, and neither democracy, nor communism, nor laissez-faire capitalism are inherently persuasive or unpersuasive to the average intelligent voter. It's up to you to explain it to them. Now then, who is this average intelligent voter? They are a person who can be considered to read major newspapers regularly without memorizing articles. They do not have access to technical journals or specialist literature. They have a broad knowledge base, but aren't experts in any one field. Jacks of all trades, but masters of none. This doesn't mean that speakers may never use specialized information, or spec knowledge as we call it, that they know well and are familiar with. It does mean that this information needs to be explained in a way that any reasonable person could understand. By which I mean, of course, that you should explain it like M5, because in reality, most of the judges you will actually realistically have on your panel are lazy, tired, and or hungover. Think about it like this. If your analysis can only be understood by people who have the prerequisite degree to comprehend it, it will probably not count in your favor unless you explain it well. That being said, once you've explained a concept properly, another team cannot come up and claim that you just use jargon and spec knowledge as refutation. This is only true if you don't provide the explanations for what you're saying. Once you've explained it, they would need to explain a different process that is more accurate than the one you explained. Furthermore, for the purposes of our game, the ordinary intelligent voter comes from nowhere in particular. That means using highly specialized examples from a specific context still requires the same level of explanation that spec knowledge generally does, even if one or more of the judges on the panel 
technically understand the context. If you're using the same examples to highlight certain claims, use a number from different regions to indicate that this is not a localized phenomenon dependent on that context. Finally, the ordinary intelligent voter does not go out of their way to explicitly contradict any material that you explained. If you prove your argument, that argument is not disproven by other speakers, and it's not inherently implausible or contradictory to itself or reality, it will be weighed in the debate even if it is a lie. I'll remind you at this point of what I said in episode 1. Debate is a game about persuasion, not truth-finding. So, what is persuasion then? The most current and up-to-date rulebook of the WUDC BP Judging Manual, which is the official rulebook of our game, says the following on persuasiveness. BP debating does not consider it possible for an argument to be persuasive merely because it was stylish. There is nothing persuasive in speaking a sentence clearly and powerfully if that sentence is not in fact a reason for an argument. And equally, reasons for an argument that cannot be understood by a judge cannot persuade them. To translate this just a little, it effectively says that just sounding pretty is not persuasive. But, at the same time, if no one understands what is being said, that's also not persuasive, no matter how smart it is. So, let's look at both of these elements now and expand on them a bit. Analysis is effectively everything we summarized as the explanation, example, impact, and rebuttal, as we've talked about in episodes 2 and 3. Analysis is every piece of logic that convinces a judge that your position is correct, as well as every piece of logic that convinces a judge that the side you oppose is incorrect. Put really simply, this means did you prove that what you claim will happen actually happens, and did you prove it happening matters? For example, if you spend your entire speech explaining that a meteor impacting the Earth would wipe out all of humanity in order to justify spending 80% of GDP on massive meteor defense systems, but don't ever prove that a meteor is likely to strike in the first place, then your impact is significant, probably the biggest in any given debate. It is, however, also lacking in likelihood analysis so blatantly that it would not be persuasive to an ordinary person. Similarly, if you prove that meteors strike the Earth constantly, but don't explain that these do any damage, then you have logic, but no impact. These meteors might just evaporate upon entering our atmosphere, or might be very small, or not hit anything of value. Both of these examples are unpersuasive for lack of analysis. While these are obviously generally not ones you'll see in an actual debate, I wanted to use examples that clarify the different layers of analysis we went over in episode 2, so that you could see how these layers weigh into persuasion specifically. At this point, I want to give you a quick reminder of things you want to analyze for your argument to be persuasive. You want to give evidence that a certain claim is true and provide mechanistic links that explain why something will happen in the specific way you claim. You could appeal to the moral intuitions of the judges, damage the logic of the other side, or make the judge care about your argument by making them feel that your side is correct by appealing to their emotions. To distinguish the quality of arguments, we usually check how well something was proven. This can mean offering more or less detail about a case, accounting for weaknesses on your side but explaining why these are worth it, and so on. 
Style, on the other hand, is everything that makes your speech comprehensible, from anecdotes and examples that clarify your stance and position, to the emphasis you place on certain words to make sure the judge gets what you're saying, all the way to your general structure of your arguments and speech. Style is not about speaking the prettiest or replacing as many words as possible with complex word vomit from a thesaurus that no one really understands just to sound smarter. Style is purely about making your speeches comprehensible to the panel. Good style is marked by being easy to track. That means using simple words spoken at a comfortable pace should be your go-to. One disclaimer though. No matter how good your style and logic are, your argument has to stick to the rules of the game. You cannot change the topic of the debate because you don't like it or disagree with the motion or find it unbalanced or inaccessible. These considerations are up to the people who set the topic, not you. You also cannot provide new analysis in WIP, although we will go over this more when we talk about back half in a later episode. In general, you cannot contradict other things that have been brought up by either your partner or, if you're back half, your opening team. Contradictions don't count against you, but any material that contradicts something another speaker on your side said is ignored for the purposes of that debate. And, in case it's not clear, having your material be discounted makes your speech less persuasive, so make sure not to contradict your partner or the opening teams in your debate. I want to make a quick but important PSA here. Having a language-based accent is not the be-all and end-all. You don't need to have a posh, Eton and Oxbridge-educated accent to excel in debating. How you sound must never count for or against you, with the only exception being understandability. For example, if your accent is so thick that you cannot be understood, then the way you speak can count against you. If you speak so fast that the judges miss what you're saying, then the way you speak can count against you. If you use language that is inaccessible to many debaters by using obscure philosophical mumbo-jumbo, then how you speak can absolutely count against you. Some of the best speakers in the world have had these issues themselves and have worked on it very successfully. If you struggle with these things, know that this too can be worked on and is not an insurmountable obstacle. And, while judges must always make the maximum effort to comprehend you, you must also make the maximum effort to be comprehensible to them. This goes both for pace and accent and vocabulary. That being said, if a judge dismisses you for not using sufficiently pretty words, or credits a team that says exactly what you said but just more fancily, that's them being a shit judge. We call this English as a second language bias, or ESL bias for short. If a judge dismisses you based on your English proficiency, even though your logic was sound and you were comprehensible, please find someone in charge and make an official complaint, as language bias is a big issue that we as a community should combat actively. Finally, let's also clarify some things that do not constitute persuasion in themselves. 1. The number of arguments a speaker makes. Of course, if someone somehow manages to make 15 arguments which are well-proven and on clash and comprehensible in 7 minutes, then that certainly improves their odds of winning. Realistically speaking, the best speakers make 3 arguments at most, and more frequently just one very thoroughly proven one, because that is usually more persuasive. Don't try to make the most arguments. Rather, make the most of your arguments. I've heard that in some other formats, this is handled differently, 
so a kind reminder that what goes in other formats does not apply to BP. If you are judging or speaking BP, please keep that in mind. Remember, persuasion also includes the degree to which you prove a claim. Throwing out 15 assertions, even if they're on clash, is not persuasive. 2. How clever or new an argument is. Just because your judge has heard a certain argument before, that argument does not become any more or less persuasive. That would be absolutely stupid. There is just no way for most people to assess which arguments their judge has heard before or hasn't. Therefore, that metric for assessment would be structurally unfair, especially because it is not applicable across different rooms with different levels of experience across the judges. Remember, the judge is trying to not be themselves. They're supposed to be the ordinary intelligent voter. That is not to say that if you're clever, that's bad. Quite the contrary. It can help you think of additional reasons your side wins the debate that others haven't brought up, or have a really strong case because you're a smart cookie. This point just means that being novel or clever is not inherently persuasive and, moreover, is not inherently more persuasive than more common arguments with sufficient explanation from other speakers. 3. How interesting an argument was. This follows the same logic as point 2, but again, while being interesting is helpful in making sure the judges listen to you, it's not persuasive intrinsically. 4. Arguments that the judge is aware of, but which weren't made. If a judge inserts themselves into the debate and punishes you for not making certain arguments, report them to the people in charge of the competition. Usually, there will be feedback forms for such things that you fill in after the debate. Note that this is distinct from them telling you more effective analysis you could have run to be more persuasive in order for you to improve in the future. That you should obviously listen to and try to remember. But if they punish you in this debate for not running what they wanted, they're stupid and wrong and should not be allowed to judge without supervision until they read the rulebook. Or listen to this podcast and download our cheat sheet. Now then, let's quickly make sure you caught everything we went over today. We first explained that the ordinary intelligent voter judges our debates and is trying their best to be free from preformed opinion and origin. Next, we discussed how analysis and style factor into persuasion, and in the end clarified some stuff that does not fall under persuasion inherently. Okay guys, that is all for now. I hope you learned something, and if you have any questions, put them in the comments below or write to us on Twitter at SpeakEasyDebate. And if you like this episode, please share it with your friends or other debaters you know who might be interested in this series. As always, you can find the cheat sheet for this week on our website, speakeasydebating.wordpress.com. We also collect and update motions from competitions there, if you want to have a look at the sort of motions being set currently. For now, have a nice week, and I'll see you next time.